Hey everyone, happy to have you here for another episode of Legacy Matters. Today, as usual, we will talk about whatever comes up with a slight leaning toward discussions of preserving your legacy, preparing for things to come, and sharing stories we find amusing. I know. All right. All right. Well, I've started recording, since so okay. there's no reason not to. Okay. Um, well, since we're all loosey goosey with that, but uh, thanks for letting us take a little break. I know in in radio listener world that really wasn't a break, but um, but thanks for if if you fast forwarded through the commercials, I understand. I do that. <laughs> if you didn't, uh, thanks for listening. And here we are. We're back with, with Don Shelby. Yeah. Yep. This has been uh, that was a really fun. Oftentimes, the first half can kind of lag a little bit. I feel like that was not always. But well, we're well, we learned a few things. Oh, that's right. right. It's, yes. it's like he's trained in this or <laughs> he's something. He's done this before. <laughs> he's, he has a few things to say. A, lives in the shadow of his uh, storytelling older brother. I can only imagine oh what own. that would, what, what he must have been like then. Because mm-hmm. I think you, you've got a knack for it, Don. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got a little thing you do where you can tell a good story. So, but we're back. We what, are are back. We, what are we doing? What do we got? Uh, what's what's well, on the agenda okay, for the so at, during our break, you know, <laughs> we had a couple, of, we were discussing, I, I don't know where to start exactly besides the fact that, you know, I, I think as we were coming back here, we were talking about you being awarded two Peabody Awards. And I kind of, you know, what was that like for you? How did that, how did that feel? I'm going to use a word that is not often associated with me. I was humbled uh, because it wasn't like winning a game in basketball uh, or being crowned a champion or being selected first team all conference. Or It was uh, your peers looking at your work and saying, this is worthy that this is the best in the nation that was done that year. And then when uh, the person presenting me the first one said, the George Foster Peabody Award is the broadcast equivalent of the Pulitzer Prize. Mm-hmm. Well, I got a little weak need mm-hmm. at that. And I think I spent uh, my acceptance speech uh, praising all of the people who had made the work possible. Because if, if WCCO hadn't given me the opportunities to take chances and uh, risk lawsuits, um, all the things that don't come naturally to businesses, uh, I would not have had the, uh, the chance to even be considered for such work. Because it was really remarkable, the I-Team only did four stories a year. Uh, Investigative reporting has largely disappeared or consolidated itself, but we were doing four stories a year. Three reporters, the three highest paid reporters on the staff, were doing only four stories a year rather than a story a day, which is what you expect to churn out. And so it was inconceivable that these high-paid reporters were only doing this this uh, brief number of stories. But that gave us uh, 
a long time to work on the story, sometimes six months. You wouldn't think that, but uh, we did it like a baseball rotation. Uh, there was a person at bat, there was a person on deck, and there was a person on, in the hole. We were a team because the person at bat meant they had the story next up on the calendar. And they had uh, all call on all resources. So if they needed something done, the other two reporters would go out and do the, that work for them, travel around the country, get documents, shoot interviews, do whatever, uh, all for the person at bat. And uh, then if they didn't have anything to do that day, the person on deck had all call on even the person at bat if they didn't have anything to do that day. Yeah. So the person on deck could use the resources of the other two people, plus all of the photographers and producers and researchers. And if it ever happened that those two didn't have anything, then the person in the hole who didn't have a story for nine months because they had just finished one, because every time you finish, just like at bat, yep. if you strike out or if you hit a home run, you go back into the dugout, you go to the end of the lineup. And so the person who just did a story goes So there's the only three in. in the lineup. That's right. There's yep. only three in that lineup. Yeah. So, uh, so I think uh, that was one of the things that I learned in this I kind of, uh, I explained before we came on the air, I'll, I'll explain again. Uh, my life has been uh, uh, designed uh, not by me, but by people I admire, uh, which I call uh, this post-it note personality. So if I, I remember the very first time I put a post-it note on my head, um, I was out to dinner with my mother and uh, a man came in with his wife and uh, he pulled the chair out for her to sit down. I'd never seen anything like that in my life. And I, I said, what'd he do? And she said, that's what a gentleman does. And how old were you when this happened? Probably 12. 12, okay. Mm -hmm. And so I went, I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah. And I wrote a little post-it note and stuck it on my head. And so I wanted to be like that. And uh, in my life, I have seen uh, 5,000, 10,000 things that other people have done that I... Uh, wrote a post-it note and stuck it on me. So if you could see me like I see myself when I look in the mirror, you would just see a uh, outline of a human shape just covered with yellow post-it <laughs> notes. Because I'm, I'm made up of all the best things I have seen other people do. So, oh my, that, that opens up all sorts of stuff. Uh, but the, the first thing it makes me think of is a, a good friend of mine who needed to make changes in her life and she would write on the mirror with lipstick something that she wanted changed and when she felt like she'd finally accomplished that that would come off and the new thing would go on and that's good. sort of the same good process yes. as what you're yes, talking it about is. yes it is yeah. but in her case where whatever initiated that thought um i could probably write with lipstick on the mirror but it would be based on what i had seen someone else do mm -hmm. that i would go I need to be able to do that. Yeah, it so, wouldn't be something that, because uh, I don't want to say that I was in any way an enlightened person. Right. The, you seem to be describing an enlightened person who says I need to change something from in within. myself. Yes. Yeah. I uh, dead to that notion. I have never had a thought <laughs> that I need to improve myself. 
until I see it demonstrated mm-hmm. for me, and then I say, I, I need to do that. Sure. So without insult, this is not... You can insult me. No, I know, I know, I know I can, but, but there's, there's multiple ways to look at things that get said, right? And so this is not, you know, without insult. Do you feel like that is uh, part of a personality disorder, or do you feel like that's a normal thing and other people go through life with that kind of feeling? Because it sounds to me like, uh, like not that you were born without empathy or without understanding of things, but that you've, instead of that being something that welled up within you, you've picked that you've picked these traits up and assimilated the traits. But do you know, do you know the, the old Don, like, do you know yourself inside of there? Do you know what's, what's is actually you and what is it? Um, I think that you're onto something because when I uh, do a self-examination and I remove all traits that I have picked up from other people, uh, I'm a quite incomplete, insensitive human being. Yeah, it sounds like sociopathy or whatever. Like it, but not. You say someone's a sociopath, and or you automatically go to some. You know, well, you should be in prison or something. But the truth is, it's just one of the the personality traits on a spectrum of a whole bunch of different traits. And it's, and not it's probably ne- the most common of all disorders. Yeah. And it's not necessarily among good or bad. the most successful people in the world. Correct. Mm-hmm. So Correct. you look at Jack Welch mm-hmm. at GE uh, celebrated by everybody on wall street as this fabulous person who can fire 40,000 people and put them in hunger Hmm. and their children on the street and smile. Yeah. So so sociopaths are among us. I don't know because I have an inherent uh, empathy. Yeah. Because uh, when I see people uh, who are suffering, I relate to that Hmm. suffering. Because I suffered not in any way, shape, or form in the degree that other people suffer. But uh, by the time I was uh, 14, I was an alcoholic. Yeah. And uh, at about that same point, just prior to that point that I was describing in the last segment with Ron Hanberg... Uh, I had gone to treatment at 32 years of age, and so I'm I'm coming up on 40 years of sobriety. Ah, good. But uh, I simply couldn't stand being me. Yeah. I simply couldn't stand being me, and the only way I could be me was to uh, deaden uh, every feeling I had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as I uh, go through recovery. Uh, what it did was, instead of deadening all of that pain, is feeling all of that pain. Yeah, mm-hmm. you have to actually mm-hmm. expose it. Yeah, and so, um, so I credit uh, the twelve steps and recovery with teaching me a way of of uh, living, and to uh, and to feel all of those things I was uh, trying to um, drink away. 
the the empathy for uh, the least of us, which uh, I saw in my midst, uh, the injustice, uh, the immorality, uh, the inexplicable uh, racism, uh, the inexplicable uh, conditions that gay people were facing. And uh, and then in '68, as an example, when I was probably at my lowest ebb, uh, I was feeling too much. Mm-hmm. I was like I was missing a layer of skin. Mm-hmm. Everything hurt me, and I was powerless to change it. And and plus, I was a drunk, so um, even if I had a good idea, I couldn't accomplish it. And I didn't have a good idea. <laughs> right. uh, but I looked at others with, with good ideas. Uh, so I was in love with Dr. King. Well, and you were, already, you were already well into putting Post-it notes on by that point. Yeah. So you were, you were suffering, because, but you were able to see good traits and, and wish I, to assimilate. Because I didn't have them. Yeah. See, the important thing to know is that everything that I saw wasn't just, oh, I'm going to be a better person. Mm-hmm. I was a horrible person. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm going, to, I'm going to try and be a person. That's right. Just getting to that level was, was uh, a major accomplishment. Have your children uh, only mostly known you as a sober adult yes. then? Yeah. Yes. That's, that's a real treat yeah. that you gave them that. Well. It, it is. That's, uh, you, that's something to be proud of. Well, I didn't actually give it to them. <laughs> um, it was, they, they it was just, taken it from you. No, I, I got drunk on the air uh, one, one night, and uh, I was doing the weekend news. Oh, and, man, Don. And, uh, and, and, I mean, shit-faced. And I, uh, but I, I, I have to, there, there's a, a guy uh, somewhere in, uh, out there. I hope he's uh, still alive, and I hope he's listening to this podcast. If he is, please call me. Because we got 1,700 phone calls on our call sheet, uh, tell him, please get that drunk off the air. What, what year is this? Uh, 1980. Okay. Um, oh, shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, March 24th, 1980. So, um, so they were, get that drunk, get that drunk off the air. And, th- and this was in the midst of the Iranian hostage crisis, right? So Ted Koppel made his career by, you know, day 44 or whatever it was of the... Uh, so Nightline was invented mm-hmm. around that. Um, but I was doing whatever. I had a story to read about this thing, and, and I stumbled through it. And the note on the uh, call sheet, I read every one of them, uh, <laughs> said, <laughs> and it wasn't all, it was because it stood out. It wasn't get that drunk off the air. It was, I appreciate Mr. Shelby reading about the Iranian hostage crisis in the Ayatollah's own tongue. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I want oh, to meet this person. Oh, that's I want to meet this, this incredibly <laughs> clever person. That's and awfully I funny. I never met them. Met them. Um, and so I... I so you were up, forced to sober up after that. Oh, see, and, but, but let me uh, tell you a little bit about alcoholism. So uh, Monday, I called into the boss's office, 
and and uh, a law had just been passed <laughs> that said that uh, alcoholism was a disease oh. by the AMA. Yep. Therefore, it fell under insurance coverage the station carried for you, right? Because if you got drunk on the air three months prior to that, you could just be fired. Yeah, clearly now mm. you have a disease. Yeah. You yep. just be fired. And there were just hundreds. There are right. hundreds of alcoholics yeah. out there who got fired. Well, and that's the day of, you know, it was okay to have a few drinks. Oh, the listen, day. are you kidding? Yeah. I mean, it was with, the culture. With a few cigarettes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Now, we always had cigarettes behind yeah. the desk. I mean, you, Pat oh. Miles and I sitting together, and you, got, <laughs> you see the smoke curling up between us. <laughs> we had the ashtray around there. Right. So, um, Flying, smoking. <laughs> so, so I go in, and he said, and he, and he didn't like this because he had fired several people, and he didn't like this at all. He said, I have to uh, offer this to you. Um, uh, you, uh, we will pay for your treatment. <laughs> um, and if you successfully complete treatment and aftercare, then I have to hire you back at the same position, <laughs> at the same salary. Uh, he didn't like what he was saying. No, he was pain. He was. And he had. He had a vein in his forehead, and it, just, and it was just popping. Just and were you young and he old? Uh, was he considerably older than? He you? wasn't considerably older, but he okay. was probably. But uh, but 20 he was. Years older. He was not happy that you no. drank on on the air. Oh no, because he had preceded all of this conversation by the fact that I had humiliated the station and did, okay. done irreparable harm to journalism, whatever. Uh, and all of which I knew. But he was most unhappy that he had to give you a break. Yes. Yeah. And so uh, he said, but if you refuse, the law states that I can dismiss you for cause, and I will see to it that you never work in this business as long as you live. Now, any alcoholics... Recovering or otherwise in the audience right now will understand me what I said. My response was, even though I was facing on this side, recovery, hope, a complete family, uh, and a future in the same position I was with the possibility of advancement. And on this side, uh, the dissolution of my family, uh, Poverty, never working in the business in which I had built my entire career. Um, and I said, can I have a couple of days to think about it? <laughs> I swear to Christ. I could just see the vein just like, oh, oh he Jesus. He couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. <sighs> he said, no, you can't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, you're going to have to tell me right now. Yeah, I right. did. So yeah. I said, okay, well, and, and unfortunately, one of the elements <laughs> of alcoholism get, is being a people pleaser. <laughs> and, um, and that drives you when you're trying to live up to other people's expectations. And so you're a people pleaser. And uh, you be anything anybody wants you to be. And, and so my next line was purely uh, alcohol speaking, but it uh, saved my life. <laughs> and I said, well, if it's that important to you. <laughs> oh, that's a nice way to put it. That is. That's, I, I do you want to go, go have a drink and talk yeah, about I it? Just, I, I thought, 
he's so distressed here. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, you're going to do feel favor. I'll do him a favor by going to treatment. Oh, yeah. Jesus. So, must, so the sickness just added. Yeah. So the sickness <laughs> actually made it possible for me to <laughs> continue on. Continue on in my career. And that was the end of it for you. Yeah. Treatment and done. Yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. Let's see. Oh, you got your uh, your token. At, uh, that says 39 years. That's oh, wow. awesome. Congratulations. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations, yes. yes. We're that close to my heart. Yeah, I bet you do. Yeah, and, and the sober you can look back at the drunk you and say, oh, my God, you damn near blew that. Yeah. You damn near blew that. Yeah. 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 Holy crap. Because I was very close to thinking, well, you know, I could sell shoes. Yeah. I could, <laughs> you know, I could do. Well, you could do a whole bunch of things, right? Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. But, but, well, that wouldn't have worked out so well for you. No, it wouldn't at no. all. No. I mean. And, and it's, it's, only, uh, it's only through sobriety that, you can, that we can actually sit and laugh about this if people are out there suffering <laughs> through, you know, yeah. through yeah. alcoholism. It, it yeah. is a disease and it is terrible. And it's, I've got many friends from my years at Filio that are dead because of their alcoholism yeah. and uh, lots of other lives ruined. So we're not trying to make light of it. But yeah. fortunately, in your case, uh, and I hope you can be a little bit of a, well, I, you know, whether you can inspire someone or not. It, oh, oh, it's oh, so hard. oh, listen. No, let me give you <laughs> <God>. that story. <laughs> oh, man. The inspiration yeah. story yeah. that I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they have a thing every uh, year in the Twin Cities called the Roundup, where 50,000 alcoholics assemble at the Coliseum or someplace. And it's a three-day big event, and a lot of great speakers come in, and a lot of workshops. And I was asked to speak at one of these. And I, this was uh, over at the uh, auditorium in Minneapolis, and I parked at the Hilton, and I took the escalator up to the second floor to walk uh, through the Skyway. And at the bottom of the escalator, I was about midway up, and at the bottom of the escalator was like a 20-year-old guy. Mr. Shelby, Mr. <coughs> Shelby, can you, can you uh, hang on a minute? And I said, sure. And the guy kind of walked backwards on the escalator, and he caught up to me. And he said, may I talk to you? And I said, yes. And he said, are you going to the roundup? And I said, yeah, I'm speaking. And he said, great, I'm, I can't wait. Uh, I'll be there in the audience. And uh, he said, I have uh, three months today and I said oh that's great congratulations and he said and I need to tell you this the reason I stopped you it's it's all because of you Hmm. and of course the uh, ego uh, that's the last thing you want to tell an alcoholic uh, something like that that gives them false pride but he quickly followed it up by saying, yeah, I've I, uh, been following your story, and uh, I was having a difficulty with my own life and drinking. And, uh, and I watched you on television, and I thought to myself, if an asshole like that can do it, I can do it. <laughs> And, and I just said, thank you, Jesus, yeah. for putting yeah. me back in my place. I figured place. that was going to take a turn. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, man. It, I, I, wish, 
I wish I could be one of those people who says what you think in the moment like yeah. that, you yeah. know? That, that would be pretty fun to be able to... A little clever quip. I, yeah. I don't think I could ever say that. No, of course not. No. I'd, way too Minnesotan. Like I'd be like, you could say, hi, Mr. Selby. Right. <laughs> You're really helpful in my recovery. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for all you've done. Yeah. No. No, this was... That's I love far the guy. better. I just love the guy. I just put my arm around him and we walked away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's cool. Yeah. That's that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, good for you. You're an inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> and I kind of, even as I said it, sort of hesitate because I can think back on, I had a, I had a good friend who was a bartender. I think he's still alive, thankfully. But I had a good friend who was a bartender with me at Filio and... He was amongst us one of the hardest drinkers, and you just knew. And fast forward, you know, five, six, seven years, uh, I went to his house for some reason, and he was explaining something to me, and he was just hammered as he was doing it. And and he, I knew he'd been hammered for the five years prior to me coming to visit him again, you know. And uh, so I can't be the guy who tells someone they're an asshole. But my family's all medical, so I could look him in the eye and say, I'm just going to say goodbye to you now, because this is probably the last time I'll see you alive. You, you, you have kept this up for so long, you're going to end up dead, and I'm probably not going to see you between now and the time you die. And he was like, what? Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, did you just say that to me? And yeah. I'm like, look, man, I'm not even doing it to be an asshole. I just know it's true. Yeah. You have done this for too long, and you are not going to survive this because you will not stop doing it, and you know you should. Yeah, you did him a favor. Yeah. Maybe. You know, you never know because because I, too many too many people in the throes of what is a disease, alcohol and drugs, they they can't stop no matter what you do. No, and they and and, and the denial element um, is. Uh, is probably something that was at work. I don't know how he turned out. I, I wish him the absolute best, but I can see uh, him uh, saying, Honey, you're crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you think this is going to kill me? I'm above that. Yeah. I'm fine. No, I'm in control. Yeah. Yeah, I can control it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a sad reality of ours as humans that we have this out there, and I hope people find their way if they can. It has a way of having a grip on you god right it's hard to get rid of that once it grabs a hold so i was driving up north with my son i know this is don's show but you know we could say whatever but i was driving up north i love talking to um, do you <laughs> yeah it turns oh, I out didn't know that. i was driving up north with my son and it was just he and i and i love we play this game where we we turn on the radio and we listen to the news for about 10 minutes and then i spend the next three or four hours just on a I mean, we go, we travel everywhere, but we'll we'll start talking about this. It starts with the news story. I say, what do you think about this thing? And then we start talking. And four hours later, I'm done with the, you know, trip to the moon and the Constitution and everything else. But we, I turn on the radio just just to get that started. And he looks forward to it. But just to get it started, and it was thirty seconds of the most horrific shit you could imagine. It was about child molestation and rape it was about you know war and and big problems all over the world just these terrible things in 30 seconds 
And I looked over at him and I, I shut it off, you know, and I, I looked at him and I said, well, that was kind of dark, huh? And he said, oh, dad, the news is always rainbow and sunshine. Rainbows and sunshine. <laughs> like, like at 12 years old, he's very aware that it's often <laughs> shitty. <laughs> Packing for a trip? Let Pack Simply give you a little help by delivering travel safe products directly to your door in an airport security safe pouch. Unbelievably easy and surprisingly simple. Make your life easier. Visit PackSimply.com. All right, all right, all right. Need some help with a construction project? Looking for thoughtful design and honest answers about what is possible and what isn't? Kinetic Design Build is a full-service boutique remodeling service, residential and commercial clients in the Twin Cities. Design and build with a purpose. Visit kineticdesignbuild.com to request a consolation. God, I just like that. That one. All right, that one is definitely not going to be mine. That could be oh, my favorite. I could see. Brought to you by the Andalin app. Preserve your memories, prepare for the future, and share with those you love. Andalin, uh... Andalin, now available in the App Store and Google Play. Visit andalin.app for more information. Want to go on a wilderness adventure with Sam? Or maybe know a group of kids who could benefit from a break from their electronics? Maybe you just need a break from the kids. Visit earthed.org for more information about how to get started. Do you have an idea that you know deserves a digital solution? Finding a partner to help navigate the digital design and application building process can be daunting. Mobile Composer, in partnership with Kinetic Legacy, offers forward-thinking design built on a stable and adaptable compliance platform. Visit mcomposer.com or kineticlegacy.us to get started building the solutions of tomorrow. Enterprise or consumer together, Mobile Composer and Kinetic Legacy offer solutions that work in a language you can understand. Interested in art? James Holmberg is both an artist and an art consultant. Let James guide you to an original work that will come alive in your home. Visit jamesholmberg.com to find out more. So this is, we always, we like to ask this, but Don, what are you doing for fun nowadays? Yeah. What, what, what's something you're really enjoying? My grandchildren. Mm. Um, and we get to travel with them, uh, which is interesting because the parents trust us, which is very weird. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, uh, of course, they look forward to not having the kids. How many kids do you have? I have uh, three daughters and I have four grandchildren. Okay. And... Uh, and they're the the delight of my life. Uh, not just the grandchildren, but all all three. The daughters, very accomplished women, uh, in their own rights. Uh, one an author, one a uh, basic. Uh, she's a LFMT, but she has uh, a clinic uh, working on in child psychology with the Family Development Center. And I have one who is a director of resiliency for the city of New York. Uh, so hmm. with the marine division, so uh, protecting against uh, sea level rise from uh, climate change. And um, uh, 
that that gives me the most uh, delight. Uh, travel associated with business is uh, fun for me, and uh, hanging out with my wife is kind of fun uh, because you know working six days a week, uh, fourteen hours a day. We didn't get to see a lot of each other. Yeah, I was thinking about that earlier, even when you were talking. I was thinking about probably what you've had to give up, maybe to to get some of to where you are, yeah. which is you know obviously that that huge amount of time that has taken to get to these achievements. One of the things I did do though was when I was doing the six and ten, uh, and the girls were coming up, and they were all basketball players <clears throat> in traveling. You know, they're, they're 10 years, 11, 12, uh, is that uh, I could not, they would, for until further notice, they could not give me an assignment between the 6 and 10 o'clock news. So uh, after the 6 was over, I would go and coach traveling basketball wow. uh, for their teams and then uh, in a suit and tie and makeup. But I didn't yeah. take my makeup off. So, I mean, the, the girls playing on the girls' basketball team. But why yeah, are you wearing makeup? <laughs> your dad's so, fucking your, weird. That's right. So, and then I'd, then I'd get back. And, and, so, and, the, and, and now I'm envisioning this during winter, too. Mm-hmm. Of course. Right. Which, you know, winter here in Minnesota is brutal. So I'm oh, sure that there was... Rainbows and sunshine. Right. <laughs> so How be, do you... Uh, oh, sorry, oh, Joe. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, this reminds me of my father. We have, I have an older and a younger sister. So he had three girls. He would uh, coach basketball. How, how does it feel to have three girls? Well, I think that uh, Providence was uh, looking out for me because, um, you know, most, most men would like to have a son, I think. Mm. And uh, I think that I had... Uh, daughters because they knew i'd fuck up a son yeah i thought that was where you were going with yeah. that i bet I, you would i would just <laughs> yeah fuck up a son. <laughs> I, bet, I, bet, I bet you would have had so much weird pressure on that son in some way yeah that you would have you would have fucked it up yeah. yeah and there was uh so what happened was because these were uh, strange people uh women uh that came into my life they were schooling me as much as i was schooling them mm-hmm. Uh, and I listened to them a lot, and uh, I became a feminist. They made me a feminist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now, they, they, nothing they did made me a feminist, but I became so sensitive to stuff that I had never paid attention to. You're right? the only man in the house, yeah. But I, I was thinking, why, why aren't they paid as much as men doing the same job? Right. That's bullshit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and... Uh, and it remains bullshit to me today. Yeah, yeah, and I will, I, will, I will tell a legislator yeah. that if they vote uh, to not uh, equality of pay, I will uh, call bullshit on them. That's just wrong. So I saw it everywhere, and so I just became a feminist. And, and uh, so, you know, maybe I didn't like abortion. Uh, maybe that was, uh, no. No, that's your right. It's your body. Yeah. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, these are the things that, that uh, they can open your. I have two boys and a and a girl, and uh, 
I, you know, I, I couldn't even tell you the names of the boys. Like I, I forget who they are <laughs> and they know it because we're all just enamored with the three-year-old girl. So yeah. they're, they're, the boys are 10 and 12. Andalyn is, is three and everyone in the family is just so thrilled to be around this little ball of energy that is so vastly different from the boys. And I do, I adore my boys as well, but, uh, but yeah, they always get the short end of the stick because dad's in love with baby. <laughs> well, when baby shows up, it is she's kind of a crowd pleaser, you know. Yeah, I bet. so yeah. I bet. Yeah, so I I understand that that you would like spending time with your wife, and I understand that you would say that your granddaughters and or your grandchildren are like. But I really was anyone else expecting him to say being on podcasts is kind of like what he does for fun these days. Oh. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Yeah. How did you and your wife meet? When did you meet your wife? At Bowling Air Force Base. Uh, she was a civilian uh, staff secretary in the office of the newspaper. Yeah. Hmm. And, uh, and Were you we, smitten right away? Yes. Oh. Yeah. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so we, uh, we fell in love, and 44 years later, we're still in love. And That's great. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> but she is uh, she is not taking my retirement very well uh, because too much time with uh, she <laughs> is so typical. It's axiomatic that uh, she has to remind me. I've been loading a dishwasher for oh, God. thirty years. I don't need you to tell me how to load a dishwasher. Okay? It's like the number one thing that people, yeah that couples fight That's over. That's right. It is. That's it's, right. So, um, so she will say, don't you have something to do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah <right. laughs> do yourself a favor. Don't put any dishes in the dishwasher. Just <laughs> you're going to screw it up anyway. Well, I think Wait it's so long. interesting. So before we started recording the podcast, we were talking and, you know, I'm thinking, you know, you know, so you meet your wife, you have this career that sort of evolves. And before we started the recording, but anyways, you were talking about the time that you brought her, you guys went and met Paul McCartney. Yes. You know, and I just think like, wow, I mean, that's just, that's like the most mind boggling thing, you know, like, you know, one day, I mean, did you just come up did you call her and say, Hey, by the way, we're getting on a plane and we're going to go see Paul McCartney. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I think most of our conversations for those years were done by phone. Yeah. Yeah. And did she oh. usually come with you on, on certain things like oh, that? Oh, see, I'm glad you asked that. Um, have you ever seen a picture of my wife? I don't know. I don't, that, I don't maybe think not. so. No one has. Oh, yeah. Okay. No one has. Okay. Um, that's because she doesn't want anyone to know that she is married to me. Yeah. Real? Okay. It's absolutely really? true. Yeah. Okay. And, and all for the right reasons. It's not because she's embarrassed by me or she doesn't want to be seen with me. But all the events that I speak at or all the events that I attend, the galas, the fundraisers, the uh, whatever I'm, I'm doing, mm-hmm. she never goes. And, and now people know not even to do a plus one. They just, you know, invite me because they know she's not coming. She will never be seen with me in public because uh, it, in the early years, she was with me a lot. And she noticed that people treated her differently because she was my wife and so she is just a uh so such a natural woman that uh she uses her maiden name 
when she volunteers or uh, goes to work, you know, she'll, there's no Don Shelby in the picture <laughs> because right. she wants uh, the authentic treatment based on who she is, uh-huh. not mm-hmm. on who she's married to. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's why, and she's never, uh, you know, in fact, when I retired, uh, they said, we'll go out and film Barbara, you know, with, you know, some pithy statement about uh, the career and whatever. And uh, she said no, but she wrote a letter. Mm-hmm. And and the letter was read. <laughs> and it was unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> she said things I, am, I didn't know. I'm very impressed by this. Yeah. Because yeah. today's, you know, social media, people are always wanting to get out there and get, yeah. you know, grasp at any fame. But she has such, that seems like this inner strength that yeah. she said, I We should like have her you. on incognito. We don't even have to explain who she is. <laughs> like, give her a- <laughs> not once mention you, not once, once mention that part of her life in any way. She just, but she could just Barbara. talk about meeting Paul McCartney. And yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I so, kind of love that would, that story she, was was exclusive for us off air i really that was a it was a fantastic story and uh you don't get to hear it sorry (laughs) but she accompanied you on other uh things probably right like that but just was the only reason she agreed to that Mm. was because it was paul 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 okay gotcha Gotcha. and and it was also in florida Mm -hmm. where nobody knew me Right. Uh, right. Uh-huh. Right. So and I uh, nobody knew me from Adam in the McCartney camp. Right. <laughs> so it was total anonymity. Uh-huh. Yeah. Not just for her but for me. For you too. Yeah. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. yeah. So she agreed to that. But no, she hasn't accompanied me on anything. B- besides <laughs> him, I mean who who really sticks in your mind as someone that you've been able to meet? Oh, I've, you know, I've met President. Top three. I've met. Uh, <laughs> Let's go with that. I met King, King Hussein of Jordan. I interviewed him um, years and years and years ago. Uh, Clinton, uh, Obama. Um, I'll tell you an Obama story. So I was doing the radio show for CCO, and it was the day before the election, 2012. So um, I said, uh, right, 8, 2008. Anyway. First, uh, first go round. The first go round. Yeah. Day before the election, and uh, some people know and should know or should, ought to know. I'm from Indiana, and even though I was given the, the uh, Great Minnesotan Award, can we take that one back? No. I, <laughs> Which part of Indiana? Muncie. Muncie, Muncie okay. Indiana. Okay. Uh, the basketball capital of the universe. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. The famous basketball capital of the universe. Yeah, that's a that's a big thing. So, um, I was uh, how we got on Muncie. I don't know how we got. What oh, were we talking uh, about? Obama. 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 Okay. Obama. So uh, anyway, I'm from Indiana and a basketball player, and I wrote a book on basketball. <laughs> uh, so, um, we had the normal kind of conversation, and he's doing the he's going making the rounds course the last minute rounds of radio stations i said senator obama it's nice to have you with us um blah 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 uh any any states that uh, you think giving you any uh troubles sleeping and he said indiana and i said well why and he said because they haven't voted for a democratic presidential candidate in 60 years right and i said well don't worry 
you're going to win Indiana. <laughs> and he said, well, thank you very much. How do you know? <laughs> and I said, this is what I know. That a left-handed three-point jump shot trumps race and politics. Hmm. And he just burst out laughing. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the next night, he won Indiana by hmm. six points. <laughs> and I got a note at the station. You were right. Oh, oh my God. That's cool. Barack. That is oh, awesome. I love notes. Fun. That is awesome. I know. Good notes, notes. I, like, that's just a, a like a dying or lost art almost. It's got to be brought back. Yeah. yeah. Like letterhead. Yeah, really nice stationery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Notes. Yeah. All right. I I have a question. Sure. And it goes back to something we were talking about a long time back on the show. But uh, and again, I'm just curious how this works out. But we had uh, Jill Yo from the MIA in and Arts. Yep. And she had uh, curated this Native American collection of art. It was it's gorgeous. And now it's traveling around the country. But you mentioned that you have artifacts from India. In your home, and I know when I or not India, but uh, Egyptian Egyptian artifacts, right, and, and a lot of uh, Native American stuff too. Yeah, yeah, and <clears throat> and it's something that, like, you can't have your eyes open to something until they're open. I, I would have never thought a thing about this when I was younger, but after talking to Jill, uh, I, it dawned on me that sometimes it's appropriate to give these artifacts back to the peoples from which they came. And I wonder if you think about that at all in your in your home. I mean, I know living around it and seeing these things, it's so fascinating and it opens up. I mean, I think they're empathy building in a lot of ways because you, you have these artifacts from a time and, and a place that aren't your own and you live with them. And we care a lot about the story behind objects, but then going through that music, that museum exhibit, yeah, it sort of, there's a part of it where, oh, actually, I think we should give them back to the people that came from. Do, do you think about that ever? Yeah. Repatriation. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I have two stories. One, um, one of the things that came down to me uh, when my father passed away <clears throat> was a human skull. Hmm. Um, and well, that's heavy. It had been dug yeah. out of a mound somewhere in the Midwest. Uh, that's all, all it said, because he didn't dig it out. He yeah. bought it from another collector, but it came from an Indian mound. Yep. Uh, so I uh, saw this and said, uh, I, no, this, I can't have this. Yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, this yeah. has to go back in the grave. And so uh, I called... Uh, Ball State University in Indiana, and uh, said, I want to repatriate this. And so I put it in a box and set it down, and they couldn't identify uh, where it had come from because somebody may have labeled it uh, that it came from uh, Indiana or Illinois, but it might have come from Missouri or it might have come from Texas, Mm -hmm. just the way collectors were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and what's just the, like garage sales or, or estate sales, you know, they would go uh, one of a kind, you know. Yeah, what's the incentive shit, to know? be truthful in this yeah, case? There's no, no truth. If they thought somebody wants to collect Indiana stuff, they'd go, this is authentic from Indiana. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. So there was no way they could do it. Um, uh, but I uh, told them, so they uh, found uh, uh, a shaman there who would repatriate it. 
um, as an unknown, basically. Mm -hmm. But it would be, uh, so anyway, I did that. Second thing, uh, I covered the war in Iraq, and I uh, was uh, embedded with the um, Red Bulls Infantry Division. Uh, and I ended up going to Al Nazaria, which was a, a kind of an outpost where a lot of Iranian uh, rockets were being lobbed and, and uh, killing people. But also there is the ziggurat <clears throat> that is next to the home of Abraham. Yes, that Abraham. Mm -hmm. And his house is still there. Because <laughs> it's just in the desert. Mm -hmm. It's just in the desert. So this, wow. this mud brick is just there, his house. Mm -hmm. And so we were going through, and I was going through with the museum official. Remember, the museum was looted mm -hmm. after Baghdad fell. So uh, I was looking at uh, some tablature that was stuck into the mortar, and I recognized this writing as cuneiform and Sumerian cuneiform because my father passed down to me four of these clay tablets that were cuneiformed uh, that came from Sumeria, which was where... Abraham and El Nazare and where the ziggurat is. So I said to the guy, I have some of these. Mm -hmm. And knowing that the museum had been looted of all of its precious stuff, mm -hmm. uh, I said, I want you to have them to put in the museum. Um, and so I put them in a, a, a box, and then I get a call from our State Department uh, this gesture that you propose, uh, the embassy of Iraq wants to feat you on this date in this can you be in Washington. So I'm carrying my box of cuneiform tablets from Samaria, and uh, I go to, it wasn't, it didn't have the, uh, establishment of a, a, the embassy, but it was the headquarters of, of the Iraqi government. And I go into the ballroom, and there are television cameras from every country in the hmm. planet, and, uh, and, and they filmed the presentation as I was turning over these things, and uh, every Iraqi in the joint was <clears throat> just bawling. Yeah, see, that's the power of it, isn't it? Gosh, and this is from your father. Uh, what do you think your father would think? He would have a, uh, he would have adored that move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, holy smokes! Yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah. that's like the power of going through that exhibit at at the, at the MIA. It just it, you just don't think of something until someone tells you that, like, oh yeah, that's right. These are. These are someone else's treasures. Yeah. You know, they're, sure, they're precious to me, but not in the same way they are to the person no. for whom they're actually a treasure. No. So, man, that's awesome. That is amazing. All right. Well, we can either, we can continue to talk. I'm fine with that. But we've got uh, 50 minutes into our second, <laughs> our second half hour of the show. So I think that means Don's going to have to come back. Yeah. 
I think maybe I think we do like a book club or something. <laughs> well, we'll we'll invite you to. Uh, we've got a couple of events coming up where we're going to have kind of invite to special things the company I founded and stuff like yep. we it'd be fun to have you as a panelist and that's the name of it company, company I found the company I founded, I founded. yes <laughs> capital letters and, like and we can't take credit for it it's uh, it another very clever person I thought I thought it was really funny it is. he even bought the domain I think back in the day and has been saving it up until the right opportunity yeah I'm going to have I'm I'm trying to save don't please don't if you're listening to this uh, <laughs> scoot in and and take this name but I was thinking about opening a consultancy, an LLC, yeah. uh, just called The Last Angry Man. <laughs> <laughs> My dad's going to steal that. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. I know enough old men. Like, I was going to say, that's very good. That that's is very good. Uh, perfect. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. I would go into news departments who were um, having ratings problems. And I would say, try news. <laughs> try doing the news instead of trying to be popular. Yeah. Right. Just do the news and say oh. it with like gritting my teeth. And yeah, like an angry old the man. Angry man. <laughs> the last angry man is here. <laughs> oh my gosh! Just That's walk fantastic. in. Just walk into like white supremacist organizations yeah who are looking for a better profile <laughs> consultant and hire me stop the fucking shit now yeah stop yeah. being an asshole yeah. that would help yeah you want to you want to be more popular i have a shirt that says the shit has got to cease <laughs> you know what and i and i said this to my my father who can you know clearly can take a joke um, as as your generation exits, why don't you fix some of this shit? Yeah, you know. Yeah, go ahead. Just, I'm trying. No one's. You got nothing to lose anymore. I'm trying. Like, I'm trying. I'm let's trying. just do it. I'm, I'm, <laughs> uh, that's why I'm spending all my time on on climate change. I'm I'm in like five organizations. I traveled to Oslo for the Nobel Peace Prize conference on solutions to climate change. I'm headed at the end of the month to New York with Bloomberg and. Uh, and the UN uh, for the climate summit, uh, just doing whatever I can. I may be again a little naive about this, but having grown up in the country, um, I think the solution to not the solution to climate change in general—that's a whole different thing—but the solution to to keeping it from being a denier or completely agreeer, you know, like it, to. Dividing ground. people into these two camps. I'm interested in hearing this. I just think it's, I think that there is a, it's the same with politics. There's semantics problems. Like you just, or maybe not semantics, maybe just the use of words, period. Is that semantics? Mm. But you, like, present this in a, in a non-combative format, in, in language that can be understood, because I don't think that actually the divide exists to the extent we think it exists. Used to. 80% now uh, accept. <clears throat> but if you had 100% acceptance that the science was right, that the climate is changing, there would still be a 50-50 split on the causes, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's human-caused or it's a natural cycle. Causes and, and solutions. Um, and I think, you know, it's sort of like uh, maybe mediation 101 or something that I, you know, 
there's just I find my father is an angry man as well, an angry old man, and uh, but he's a very thoughtful guy and he knows his shit. So he will sort of talk to someone who doesn't necessarily agree, and he it feels like you're being berated, perhaps when. Uh, I tend to take this much more soft tact of kind of like, well, you know, I I hear you. You you could be right that the planet's only eight thousand years old and God buried dinosaurs, but I'm not entirely sure that's true. And here's here's kind of why I think that might not be true well, you and stuff like that. Point them in the right direction you know? with, uh, you know, you're talking about your daughter coming about Saddam Hussein, right? And saying, actually, here's some information. Why don't you read it and come back yeah. to me? That's another powerful thing, too. That is. Put the, the, power, put the power to learn about these mm-hmm. things in the hands. I just, I think we need to, there needs to be, it's not climate for dummies or any of that, but there just needs to be more thought put into, I think about this actually from gun control standpoint, because that's one thing I'm really, I just feel like we have not engaged the, the hunters of America to just be reasonable about this and say, we're a group of in the middle. We're not extreme on the one end with the guns, but we're certainly not giving them up because we hunt. Why can't we coalesce as a large, the, probably the largest group of gun owners and just say, no, we, you know what? I don't actually need semi-automatic weapons. So the alternative to the NRA. Yeah. 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 Just, mm-hmm. we don't, we don't need these types of guns to be able to accomplish what we need to accomplish when we go hunting. And we should be ethical and thoughtful about these things and sort of coalesce a group around a different set of words, really. So Don, so when, when you're going to some of these conferences, are you, will you be speaking? At some of them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I go to uh, learn what is, I, I want to give you an example of uh, something that people don't uh, think about. Uh, when I was in Oslo, I learned uh, uh, something that allowed me to breathe for the first time in a long time uh, since I first became aware of the threat to the planet. And <clears throat> in one of these meetings that I attended, uh, the OECD, the head of OECD, uh, the head of the IMF, the head of the World Bank, uh, the heads of the uh, top mutual fund uh, operations, the head of the largest pension funds, were in the room. Like $39.7 trillion was represented in that room. And they basically said, and I'm going to paraphrase, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about the science. Don't worry about the deniers. Don't worry about it. Because our risk management analysis of the fossil fuel industry is telling us that the stranded asset nature of these institutions and these businesses are a bad investment. Hmm. So if they want to build another pipeline, they have to go to somebody else to get the money because we're not going to give it to them. Hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they're going to, they're going to dry up on the vine. Hmm. And so it's going to be business. I think that's true. That makes the decision because their only obligation is to their investors. Yeah. That is under the law. Their only obligation is to their investors. And if they invest in something that falls flat, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where they knew it was going to fall flat, they can go to jail. Yep. Mm. So they're saying, no, we're not going to put our money in something that is not going mm-hmm. to be part of the future growth. So the market is going to take the The lead. market is going money. to solve money. the problem. Yep. It's, it's interesting. Well, it's, 
it's got to be a part of it. Government's got to be a part of things when it comes to regulation and and sort of steering the ship in a certain direction. Business has to do business. And and so, I mean, it's the same reason electric cars are going to come. You know, it's the same reason why solar panels are going to come. We're going to we're going to solve some of these problems through sheer business necessity. I I had a speech to a business group, which was populated by probably 90 percent politically conservative people. And I told them my background, that I came from a Republican household, and that everything that I learned about it, uh, efficiencies and, uh, and conserving came mm-hmm. from that notion that I grew up with, that uh, I had a, a father who would say, turn off the light. Mm-hmm. I have to pay. You're not paying the bills. I'm paying the bills. Turn mm-hmm. off the light. You're not in that room. Turn off the light. Um, he didn't waste anything. In his garage, um, there were five shelves of one-by-sixes that ran across the back of 22 feet uh, with mayonnaise jars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know exactly every, what you're talking every about. <laughs> bent nail, every hinge pin, yeah. every... The lid screwed to the bottom yes, of it. Absolutely. Yeah. So you just... And, and one day, <laughs> I was trying to fix a clock. I had a... Uh, I came to Dad and I said, I, I have to go down to the hardware store and I have to get the partner to this screw because it went down to the register and, and it fell down. I can't get it out. So I got to go down there. And he said, well, I'm sure I got one of those. And he <laughs> and took one of those mayonnaise jars and threw it out on the concrete of the of the uh, garage and said, it's in there somewhere. <laughs> and, and so so uh-huh. an hour and a half, I'm going through each one, trying to find, and by God, there was one. <laughs> perfectly matched. I mean, he didn't waste anything. So that's what energy efficiency is, is uh, replicating what is called uh, biomimicry. In, in the natural world, there is absolutely no waste. Mm-hmm. Nothing ever is wasted in nature. Right, so build a system based on that natural environment. So you, we first a stop wasting. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. single-use plastic. Mm-hmm. Start there. Just don't buy anything uh, where you have to throw away. Yeah, that only comes as packaging around you know some kind of GI Joe doll. Don't buy it. Yeah, don't buy it. Or and, and tell the people I'm not buying your product till you find another kind of packaging. Um, when I go shopping and I I, I uh, at the cub and I want to get some produce, I bring uh, net bags mm-hmm. right, and just put them in the net bags. Mm-hmm. And they don't weigh anything, and you can just put them on the thing and weigh them. And then I, I take them home, wash them, bring them back, and do the same thing yep. instead of pulling off that plastic mm-hmm. because that plastic is going to end up in the ocean and, and kill turtles, and I'm not uh, there. Not a big fan of that. No. So, um, so all these conservative people are sitting there, and I said, now, let, how, I said, how did you lose um, – how did you lose the mileage argument? Uh, how did that ever happen to you? Uh, that you supported people who uh, wanted to increase uh, the or decrease the miles per gallon or keep them the same way, while the others, the other side of the uh, of the aisle, wanted to increase the amount of miles you could travel on a gallon of gasoline. And mm-hmm. sort of force efficiency. Yeah. So why are you against that? Because isn't that conserving? Yeah. Yeah. Gasoline. Yeah. 
And isn't that part of your name? Yeah, yeah. it used to be. You're conserving the amount of gasoline you're using. And if you just keep track, the amount of money you would uh, save, you could build a swimming pool or send your kid to Harvard. I right. don't care what you do with your money, but nobody should waste money. Mm-hmm. Don't waste that. And if there's a way to get a more efficient light bulb that uh, lasts uh, four times longer and uses 90% less energy, why don't you do that? Because it's smart money. Why don't you embrace it? Yes. That's and conservative. Did they, did they have a response? Did yes. anyone? Yeah, I'm curious. The, the people who stayed <laughs> <laughs> came what, up to what me and said, What year is this, may I ask? Uh, this is uh, five years ago. Okay, all right. Uh, said to me the, uh, the thing that I most want to hear as a journalist. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Mm. That's all I've ever tried to do was give people information mm-hmm. where they go, I never thought of it that way. On the, in that same vein, uh, the conservatives in North Dakota came together and kind of came up with this whole new plan with what to do with, with young unwed mothers. And they figured out business, the best business they could do for that, the best solution was to provide them enough support to get past a certain point so they could be a productive member of society. Like, that's conservative. Hello. Yeah. Because if you don't do that, now you've got all of these problems that cost you more in the end. So the cost to to provide the service was less than the cost to not provide service Mm -hmm. over a Mm -hmm. span of time. What about the investment in children's mental health? Yeah. Mm. 78% of the prison population in America today had diagnosable mental uh, conditions when they were children that went untreated. Uh, And you can't get insurance companies and you can't get uh, governments and legislatures to see that connection Mm -hmm. that if we can intervene early and and help heal the mm-hmm. the pain and the hurt and the anxiety, then you're not going to have behavioral disorders in high school. Uh, that's going to be disruptive. You're not going to put people in prison because they don't fit anymore. You're going to you're going to treat the the problem at its source instead of try to deal with it downstream when it's grown so large you can't handle it. Yep. Yeah, I feel like. Uh I feel like the last time, God, we're really getting into this, but uh, I feel like the last time America made a great investment in in its future and in improving itself was all through the 50s. I, I don't know if that's that's just what I've heard or if that's entirely accurate, but that's just the way I feel about it. And we've been coasting in a lot of ways ever since. And we are coming to the point where it's time for a great awakening to make a, a, another massive investment in ourselves as a society and our world and our you know our country our kids our future all of it i would move that up to the to the um the 60s uh late 60s early 70s yeah with the uh with the the advent of nasa and the uh embracing uh, of science mercury um gemini and uh and apollo yeah and going to the moon Mm -hmm. and uh all of all of the Efforts. Those were things that started in the 50s and 60s, though they took that long to get right, to that but point. Right, but it was, it was in, in uh, 60 when Kennedy said aspirationally, um, and, and you talked about semantics. Uh, I, I adore the semantics of what I'm about to tell you. He said at his inaugural, we will put a man on the moon in 10 years 
and return him safely to earth. He didn't say, I have a plan that one day we <laughs> yeah. hope. He didn't hey, say it. Can we, we open a study? He, we will, he yes. said. Yeah. We will. And we did. Yeah. We it's will. Super now, powerful. Now, he could have said all kinds of different things because the truth of the matter is, to quote Joe Biden, the fact of the matter is <laughs> that. Full circle. Here you asked go. the wrong question. <laughs> this happened before the podcast. <laughs> so the uh, Soviet Union already had Sputnik in the air. They'd already put a dog in space, in orbit. We were desperately behind. We were getting our ass kicked by the Soviet ah, Union. No one, in no one space. can stand that. So. He could have said, we have to put a man on the moon, ah, right. or we're going to get our ass kicked in yeah. space by the Soviet Union. He could have said that, but it wasn't that. He didn't even bother talking about mm-hmm. that. He just said, we will. This is what we're going to do. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then the government set about doing it and did it, and did it in, in nine years, not 10. Yeah, I've tried to adopt that more and more in my in the writing that I do and just in the way in, in speaking where mm-hmm. I, instead of saying, cause I'm ultra Minnesotan, well, I wish I could, or, you know, it's I think like I might I do that. I'd say I will do this. Uh-huh. And I, and I have to, I have to imprint it in my brain when I say it, like you're saying this for a reason, Sam, you're going to do this. Mm-hmm. Right. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, ah, well, this has been, well, we learned a few things massively today. fun. Yeah. <laughs> so we always give our guests, uh, an tea. opportunity, yeah, oh, tea. Tea. yeah, some tea, yes, uh, in a hard time. But we uh, we give them an opportunity to plug anything if they want to at the end. Uh, I don't know if you're in that position right now to you know if there's anything you want to get out there that um, you know book you've released or whatever you've got. I don't know. But, nah, yeah, <laughs> good. I kind of felt like that. No, it's good. It's good. This was too good of a conversation, um, and I don't think we need it. So we don't. I think that's fantastic, and uh, I think we have a lot more to talk about at some point. Don, good luck. Yes. Good again. luck with the conferences that you're Thank going you. to yes. be attending. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah, keep up the good work. Thank you. We'll do. Thank you, you too for your contribution. Yes, yeah. to all of mm-hmm. us. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for coming in. My <laughs> pleasure. <laughs> all right. Thank My you pleasure. very much. Bye. Thanks. All right, everyone, thanks for listening. We love comments and feedback, so go ahead and let us have it. If you'd like to learn more about Andalin and other legacy projects, visit the website at andalin.app or kineticlegacy.us. Take care. Mm-hmm.